I couldn't help but but play that because that the the passage that that is based on is one of the things we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> so for those of you maybe you weren't here last time, I know it's middle of the winter and been a lot of sickness going on and all that, so I'm just going to do a little bit of review to catch you up where we're at here in the book of Revelation. <coughs> so last time uh, was when talked about the two witnesses, which directly followed the time uh, in chapter 10 when the huge angel, John saw the giant angel standing with one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea. And this is the angel that had the, the little scroll that he then, uh, John was told to go eat the scroll and then to prophesy, <clears throat> which he did. But one of the things that that angel said <clears throat> in uh, chapter 10, verse 7, he says this, But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So this is, this is getting toward the end of the tribulation period. And this angel declares that, okay, in the days that the seventh trumpet is sounded, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. It, it's going to be done. It'll be completed. And then it goes in, after that, it goes into the two witnesses and, and all of that. <clears throat> So then the middle of chapter 11 is where we're going to pick up today. It's chapter 11, verse 15. <clears throat> and this is what, this, this is kind of what we've all, we're all waiting for. We're all waiting for this seventh trumpet to be sounded. <clears throat> then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And we're going to stop there for now. I think we're going to end up going on into chapter 12 today as well, but I'll read that once we get there. <clears throat> and sorry for my, uh, I'm, I'm still a little bit stuffy up in here. I'll probably have to blow my nose a couple times, uh, but I'm in good company, I think. <laughs> <clears throat> so as, as I read through this and, you know, it, it's, it's the part of Revelation that we all kind of are anticipating. And you know, one of the things I've, I've said multiple times as we've went through the book of Revelation here, and it's, it's something that I honestly, I didn't really realize so much before uh, I've, you know, been going through this kind of systematically, <coughs> is, you know, in the past, Revelation, it, it kind of has the, these connotations of, of, of fear, or at least that's kind of how it's, it's kind of how it's, portrayed out there in a lot of modern Christianity. It's kind of this scary thing that we don't understand and there's all these crazy things that happen. And I, I realize the, the more, the further I get into this is that's really not the case at all. You know, Revelation is meant to be an encouragement to the saints that God's got it all under, under control and that someday he will finish the job. And there at the at the end of verse 18 where it says he will destroy the destroyers of the earth and it's it's just it's meant to be an encouragement and a you know keep going kind of message and especially here as we get into you know from here 
We're, we're only halfway through. There's 22 chapters. And we're already at the seventh trumpet. But there's, there's some detours that John takes in the following chapters. <clears throat> but anyway. So there in, uh, in, in verse 15. It's directly where that, that song is taken out of. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. <clears throat> so something interesting I went back and I, I, I read a little bit about that, that uh, song, Handel's Messiah, and specifically the Hallelujah Chorus there, <clears throat> and uh, just kind of read about how, how it came about, and it was, it was a pretty interesting story. So George Friedrich Handel, he, he was a composer, obviously, we know that, but he was mostly unsuccessful. He had, he had done some compositions and tried to get his stuff into some some churches, the, the Anglican church there in England was not very receptive at all to what he had, what he had done. And basically, he, he was a failure, a, pretty much a complete failure in, in getting his stuff out. He was really, was really down and out and depressed. And <clears throat> during that time, I think it was in 1742, so it's been quite a while ago, there was a couple different people at at a similar time, in a similar time frame, came to him and said, hey, we would like you to compose some things. Um, we'd like you to compose something that we can, you know, we can do a program and do it to raise money for, uh, like, a local homeless shelter. And then the, there, was another, there was another thing they were raising money for, and I don't remember all the details about that, but he's like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And so he started, started, composing Handel's Messiah and it was it was one of those things I'm, I'm sure you've heard before when you know artists or composers kind of get into this a zone or a groove or something however you want to call it where they're they just get zoned in and that's literally all they do he was for, for about 24 days he was composing all these things and he was you know, he'd be in his room doing his compositions and he would have his meals brought to him. And, I mean, he was just there, you know, by himself doing these things for, you know, a little over three weeks. <clears throat> and the one morning when the, the person brought his meal to him, they, they came in there. And he was just, he was just kind of a mess. He was, he was physically just exhausted and just a mess. <laughs> and, and they're like, well, what, what's going on? And he... He had just finished the Holy Chorus. And this, this is what he said. <clears throat> this is a direct quote from him. He said, I did think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself. He had a vision. He said he had a vision <clears throat> as he was doing this. And it, I don't know, for, for without better terms, it really messed him up in a good way and you know he finished it they went on to you know the, the first time it was uh, they did the, the show or whatever you want to call it the king I, th I think it was King George was in attendance and he was so moved at the beginning he stood up and tradition kind of holds that that is why we still have the tradition generally of standing up when the holy course begins it kind of began with that and it went on to be just what it has become a resounding success and, and an inspiration <clears throat> it was yeah it's just one of those one of those songs and compositions that is just it's inspired <clears throat> and for the next that was in 1742. Uh, he died, George Friedrich Handel then, he died I think in 1759. And many, many times in that, you know, what is that, seven, nine, 17 years, uh, he led this and they performed this uh, Handel's Messiah. And actually a week before he died, he, he had conducted Handel's Messiah again. <coughs> and... 
I don't know, that story just really, really kind of gripped me. You know, I've, heard, I've heard that many, many times. <clears throat> and it's just, it's one of those things, sometimes things grip you and sometimes things just kind of go over your head. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit, that one has probably gone over my head too many times. <clears throat> but this time, you know, knowing the backstory behind it and then knowing where we are in Revelation and, <clears throat> and where this comes from, this comes from, you know, right after that, there in verse 17 and 18, the 24 elders are worshiping God and more or less singing their own song. And I don't know, just, just hearing then, you know, listening to, to the hallelujah chorus and, and putting on your, like I like to close my eyes and just kind of imagine what John was seeing when he saw this in the throne room and you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what was going on there, but it is God who gives the inspirations for these things. And I can't help but think that something just about like the Hallelujah Chorus times a thousand is what we're going to hear someday. <clears throat> yeah, after that, after that seventh trumpet sounds. <clears throat> just kind of, it really gripped me in a way that it hadn't before. <clears throat> so these, these emotions that, that that chorus brings out in you as you, as you think about it, I really think that's that is at, that's the essence of what God wants us to feel and experience when we read through the book of Revelation. It is not fear that we are supposed to feel when we read this book. It is that that anticipation and just kind of a flood of, of gratitude and emotion that, that comes when we when songs like that one grab us. <clears throat> and as I, as I read through this and, and was preparing I started thinking about some, some other parts of scripture that kind of speak into this and this is, this is the culmination so there is I'm going to go back and I'm going to read some in Daniel <clears throat> for those of you who enjoy Revelation I would highly recommend that you read Daniel along with Revelation. They are very, very intertwined. I think there are, there are prophecies in Daniel where they kind of go to a certain point and then stop and say, you know, it says it is shut up. There are certain things, certain continuing things that are shut up till the time of the end. <clears throat> and then Revelation continues those and expounds on those. It's like, it's like Revelation is a kind of a continuation of, of some of the prophecies in the book of Daniel. So in Daniel chapter 2, <clears throat> this is in, in one of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. It's a dream we're probably all familiar with. This is when uh, he saw a great, you know, a great statue. And at the very end of that, the dream here in, uh, let me see here, verse 34, it's 34 and 35. I can find them here. <clears throat> it says this, As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of, of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff, like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. <clears throat> and then jump ahead a few verses to verse 44 and 45. In the days of those kings, <clears throat> this is giving a little bit more detail onto that, the time when that stone cut without hands comes, comes down. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. 
It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. <clears throat> so that stone that was cut out, of the, cut out without hands and it was thrown down to the feet of that statue, that's like, when that stone was thrown down, that's, that's, that is a, a prophecy of Jesus Christ coming to the earth. And whether, whether it's when he was born or when he did his ministry and died, I don't think it really matters. That's when the stone was thrown at the, at the feet. And then in Daniel, it talks about how this stone becomes a mountain and it grows and grows and grows. And eventually, it fills the whole earth. And right now, we are in the time period that the stone is growing and expanding. <clears throat> and here in Revelation chapter 11, when the seventh trumpet sounds, that is when the mountain, the growth of that mountain is complete. It has then, it fills the whole earth and Christ takes, a, takes his, his throne. <clears throat> and that's, Oh, that's just such an exciting time. That's what we're looking for. Another, another thing, another place in Scripture that kind of alludes to the same thing is in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm not going to read that. It's the parable of the mustard seed. It's, another, it's just another picture of the same thing. You know, the mustard seed, tiny little seed, and it's planted, and then when it becomes fully grown, it's, it's a tree bigger than all the herbs that are normally in the gardens that you plant, <clears throat> and it becomes a place for, you know, birds to nest in its branches. The picture is, it starts out as something really small, and it eventually grows to be something very big. And that's, that's what the kingdom of God is. That is, Christ began when he came, was born, lived and, and ministered here, and then died. The kingdom of God was begun. And we, I don't know, the mountain's pretty big now. It, you know, we're 2,000 years into this thing, and I don't know, I can't help but but see that we're not too far from the time when the mountain is finished growing. And when I say not too far, it's hard to tell. You know, our time frames are not God's time frames, whether it's one year, two years, five years, or a hundred years. It's probably not another 2,000 years. We'll just put it like that. <clears throat> and this time in Revelation is the time when, when the tree is finished growing. The rock is finished growing. It has, it has finally taken over the whole earth and Jesus begins to reign. <clears throat> I'm going to read a few, a few psalms that also point forward to this. Psalm chapter 2. <clears throat> you know, in the, in the, uh, the song of the 24 elders... There's some, there's some allusions back to some of these psalms where it talks there about the nations raging, but your wrath came, the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and saints, and those who fear your name. <clears throat> so in Psalm 2, I'm just going to go ahead and read the whole psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers <clears throat> take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's David looking forward to that time when when the nations rage and God just kind of laughs and says, away with you. 
ultimately in the end. That's, what he, that's what's happening there in Revelation. <clears throat> and then Psalm 46, which Matt already read a verse in Psalm 46. But I'm going to read the whole chapter of Psalm 46 as well. <clears throat> God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. <clears throat> these are just a couple examples <clears throat> of these Old Testament people and prophets, really. David, when he was writing a lot of those things, was prophesying of future events. <clears throat> and they were all looking forward. Without knowing the details, they were looking forward to the time of the seventh trumpet. <clears throat> when the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever <clears throat> and then verse 19 then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple and there were flashes of lightning rumblings, peals of thunder an earthquake and heavy hail so I, I saw something in verse 19 that I've never really seen before, and I could be wrong, but I, it sure seems like a connection to me. <clears throat> so after this, this seventh trumpet sounds, the t it says God's temple is opened. The Ark of His Covenant is seen within the temple. <clears throat> Isn't there a time earlier that happened in history that's kind of a foreshadowing of that? <clears throat> couldn't help but think when Jesus died and I'm actually going to read a verse in Matthew 27 that I think is a foreshadowing of that event in, in Revelation chapter 11 in Matthew 27 verse 51 50 and 51 and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. <clears throat> so put those two together once. In, when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn. Now where was that veil? That veil was between the holy place and the holy of holies. It was behind, the holy, behind that curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was kept which not convinced it was actually there in Jesus' day, but that's a whole another story for another time. <clears throat> but regardless, the, the temple was rent, or the, the veil was rent, and there, there's two different, two different things that I think that signifies. One is that now we have access into the Holy of Holies, correct? We've all heard that, and it's absolutely true. We now, not only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies, everyone can go into the Holy of Holies. But there's a second thing, and the second thing is that God's, God's presence all the way back from tabernacle times, he chose to dwell in the Holy of Holies. His Shekinah glory dwelt in the tabernacle first, and later, after Solomon built the temple, moved into Solomon's temple, into the Holy of Holies, and then in Ezekiel, it actually talks about the presence of God leaving the temple during the time when Israel was basically falling away. And it, it's not recorded in Scripture, 
where he moves back in the same way you know in, in Solomon's temple at the dedication of the temple you have very clear picture of God's presence moving in to that holy of holies and like I said there, it's not recorded that he moved back into the, ter- the temple that was rebuilt then after you know uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and then when Herod remodeled it and it became the temple in Jesus day it's not recorded the time he moved back in but I think it's safe to say he did otherwise what would be the point of, of the veil rending and him coming out so like I said the one thing is that we now have access but the second thing is is that God's presence left the Holy of Holies and then where did it go it moved into his people the, God's presence in the form of the Holy Spirit then moved into his people the church <clears throat> that was a, that was a momentous occasion for for I don't exactly know, a thousand, fifteen hundred years of the Jewish history, the presence of God dwelt in in this building slash tent, tabernacle and temple in the Holy of Holies. And then in, in Jesus after Jesus ascended, he came out and moved into the church. <clears throat> and all that to say, th- in in this instance, I think that's a foreshadowing because it says God's temple in heaven was opened. And the Ark of the Covenant was seen. The Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. Once again, this this temple is opening up. And I think the presence of God has come out of the temple that he's been in, up there in in his temple in heaven. And he's actually this time going to move down to the earth and take up his throne in Jerusalem. And... I had never seen the connection between those two until I was going through this and preparing. I just I think the rending of the curtain is just a foreshadowing of this time that talks about here in Revelation when once again the presence of God in in a different way this So what lived in the temple was the Shekinah glory presence of God. It was more or less a I don't know, it was, it was a presence of God that was toned down enough that, you know, a human being could go in there and live, once a, even, even once a year. But it was still a very potent force that could kill anybody like that. But it was, I think, still just kind of a, a small down payment of what God really is. And this time, God himself will move out of the Holy of Holies in his temple and he will move to the new Jerusalem which will be on the earth and that I don't know, that's fascinating to me I, I can't wait for that that's going to be a good time <coughs> alright I think we're going to leave chapter 11 and hop into chapter 12 and we'll just see how far we get I have about 15 minutes yet Uh, let me see here I think I'll just read the first no I will read the whole thing I'll read all of chapter 12 and then we'll just start going through it and where we end up we end up that's okay now before I start start this remember I have said a couple times throughout this um, study of revelation what is literal and what is figurative to be taken figuratively or symbolically in the book of Revelation and I think John tells us when things are to be taken literally and when things are are symbolic and right here in chapter 12 he begins it's kind of a it's like the seventh trumpet sounds and then there's this you all know in movies when, when there's like these breaks in the action and it moves and tells another part of the story you know that maybe happened previously kind of feels like that it's a it's moving out of this there's this progression of of the the trumpets happening and there's actual physical real things happening here on the earth and then there's a break in that and John says and a great sign appeared in heaven so for a t- for a time here at least until he tells us that it's not a sign anymore. 
think this is, this is more or less a, it's, it's symbolic. It means something else. It's not necessarily to be taken as a literal, this is exactly how it happened. It's, it's telling a story symbolically, kind of like a parable. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, or crowns. That's what diadems are. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Use your imagination as I read through this. Just kind of imagine what this picture looks like. It's, it's, it's kind of a crazy picture. So here you have this dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And I was you know, thinking, how, how can you have seven heads and ten horns? And the way it seems to work out is that three of the heads have two horns. And then the other four, three, seven, yeah, the other four heads have one horn apiece. And if you look it up, you know, when you get home, Google that. And uh, there's, there's quite the the pictures you will find of, you know, artists rendering what they think this dragon might have looked like. It's pretty interesting. <clears throat> anyway, back in. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, war arose in heaven. <clears throat> Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angel, angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and the, that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. <clears throat> that very last sentence, some of your Bibles will probably have a little footnote. And I think, I think it's correct what a lot of those footnotes say. Some manuscripts, instead of saying, and he stood on the sand of the sea, you know, speaking of the dragon, or maybe Jesus, it actually says, and I stood on the sand of the sea. So it's like it's John just saying that he himself was standing on the sand of the sea, like standing on the beach on the edge of the ocean. Because of what follows next. In chapter 13, he says, and I saw a beast rise out of the sea. I just wanted to put that in there. Um, some of your Bibles might say, and I stood on the sand of the sea. And some of them might say, and he. But I think it's, it's correct that it says, and I. It's talking about John. That's a very small thing, but I wanted to mention that. 
All right, so I'm going to go back and kind of start and kind of go through, see how far we get in chapter 12. So it says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman. There's three things. There's a woman, there's a dragon, and there's a child. So who are, who are these, who are they representing? Who's it talking about? There's various lines of thinking, as in a lot of Revelation. <clears throat> but some make, some make a lot more sense than others. Um, I know that the Catholic Church in, historically has said that the woman is Mary. <clears throat> I don't think that makes exact sense. It's, it's one of those things that, I don't know. It can be multiple things. It does not have to be absolutely on the one thing. <clears throat> I think it makes the most sense if, if the, the woman, first of all, is the nation of Israel, because it says, she, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. You know, the, the 12 stars could signify the 12 patriarchs. That's kind of the, one of the foundations of, of the nation of Israel. And going on down, it, it's very obvious who the child is. That one's not really up for debate. <laughs> it's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. <clears throat> because it says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. We know very clearly from many other scriptures, that's who it is. That's Jesus. <clears throat> and the dragon's also pretty self-explanatory. This is, this is Satan. This is the devil. This is the accuser of the brethren. And one of the reasons I think it's, it's accurate that, <clears throat> that the woman is the nation of Israel or is, is the Jewish people is, you know, even Paul said um, in, that salvation is of the Jews. Like Jesus came through that. You know, it was the, Israel was God's chosen people. And from Israel, from the bosom of Israel comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So, I think for sure at the beginning part of this, the woman is representing the nation of Israel. Later then, in the chapter, in verse 17, it says, The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those, or not and, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. <clears throat> That lends itself to say that, oh, the woman is the church. <clears throat> so it could be, you know, you had the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. His plan was to, to have this people. From the Jews come, comes Jesus. Jesus puts forth a new covenant, and that became the church. <clears throat> then you have this, there's these back and forths on replacement theology. Okay, so is the church... The new Israel, has Israel been thrown to the curb and, you know, is completely nothing anymore? Now the church has taken over Israel's position, which I don't think that's correct at all. I think the Bible's pretty clear about that. <clears throat> but in a way, the church, we, we could be called the offspring of, of uh, Israel, really. Um, <clears throat> Paul talks about how we are, you know, those who believe are children of Abraham, and it makes a lot of sense that, that this woman represents Israel and the church. Obviously, we know Jesus was not born from the church. So at least early on in this, I think it's correct to say it's Israel. And then later, um, like what this verse says, it it's also can represent the church as well. <clears throat> but if you look at who are, who are the two groups of people that throughout history, the devil is always opposed and is always going after. It's those two groups of people. I mean, there's, there's, there's always others too, but in general, it's the Jewish people and it's the believers that Satan's fighting against. And that's really what it's, you know, at the end of the chapter here, that's kind of what it's saying. You know, he, he gets, at one point, he... <laughs> He just can't seem to get a hold of the woman, and so he gets furious with her and goes off to make war with the church as well. <clears throat> and without getting into, you know, 
too many details. It's, it's hard to know exactly what all the details are. But an overview of what's going on here <coughs> is God's plan is to bring a Savior who is to save people and ultimately to be that ruler who rules with a rod of iron. <coughs> and Satan is trying, has tried, is trying, and will continue to try everything he can possibly do to thwart God's plan. That's the overview of what's going on here. First, he's there, and he, he's trying to get rid of the child. And it reminded me of something. How many of you have watched The Passion of the Christ? Okay, some of you have not. It's quite, it's quite um, intense, but I think it's really good. But those of you who have, have watched it will remember. So during the, during the movie, there's, there's these times like when, when Jesus is being born and when, when certain important events are happening, there's, there's this person that kind of comes around behind and, and is, you know, there's sometimes a, there's a snake like coming out of his sleeves or something. And he's trying to get at the child. There's a time, you know, if I remember right, it's been a long time, but I think one time they're actually crossing a river and, and he tries to bring a flash flood and, and wash Mary and the baby and the donkey away. You know, maybe they were going to Egypt. Not necessarily saying that happened, but just putting forth that thing of that, that's what the devil was trying to do. I thought that was, it's a good representation, a good visual how they portrayed that in that movie, kind of, of of what this is. It says the dragon was there standing before the woman, just waiting, because as soon as that child was born, he wanted to get rid of him, because he knew that this child would ultimately mean his demise. So he was trying. <clears throat> but God snatched him away. God's, God always was one step ahead of him. <clears throat> and you know what? There's a lot of things that aren't recorded. We, don't, we really don't have much of an idea of what Jesus did from the time he came back. Well, we don't really know what he did in Egypt either. But we're told he was born. They flo- you know, went to Egypt. And then he shows up at 12 years old in the temple. And then when he's 30, he shows up again. We don't know what he was doing all the rest of that time. You know, how many times during the life of Jesus did did Satan try to kill him. I can almost guarantee there was times. You know, maybe he was working, you know, he was a, a carpenter or a rock cutter. And who knows, maybe there was times he was working and a big rock fell down and, you know, just missed him. I don't know. But I can't help but think there was those times because he wanted to get rid of him. He tried everything he possibly could, but God was always one step ahead. <clears throat> and then going on down through here the, the dragon is is then he can't he can't get the child so he goes after the woman because the woman is like the next it's like the next lowest hanging fruit that he can get at <clears throat> and he's going after the Jewish people and you know in all fairness there's plenty of times they deserved it <laughs> but don't we all <clears throat> but throughout the last 2,000 years there's constantly someone going after the Jewish people. Constantly. And you know, today we see it as, it's very vivid right before our eyes with what's going on today. <clears throat> with the, the hatred for the Jewish people. It's people that don't even, they really know nothing about anything yet they just know that they hate the Jews. It's just this continuation of the dragon is trying to get rid of them. Because they are a they are a witness to the God of heaven. And they're they are a Yeah, just that. A witness to the God of heaven and his plan. And in, in our day, the church is in that is in that same situation. <clears throat> and, you know, if we don't think that the, the forces of evil that are going after the Jewish people right now if you think they're going to stop with them you would be sadly mistaken they're coming after us next or maybe they already are in some places there's just this constant 
the devil is going after those two witnesses to God and his plan. But I just, I love some of the pictures down there through, through chapter 12. <clears throat> you know, first of all, it says, you know, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Some of these times, like the 1260 days and the time, times, and half a time, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what those times stand for. Um, this is in, in the part of Revelation that's more symbolic, so... I don't know, does it mean 1,260 years? Does it mean three and a half, three, three and a half years like earlier? Uh, does it mean 42 months? I, I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway, so, you know, there's, the woman is given these, these two wings to fly away. Uh, the next thing, the serpent pours water like a river to sweep her away with a flood. Hey, maybe that's where they got that. Just thought about that. Sweeping away her with a flood there in the, the movie. But the earth came to the help of the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. At every step, God's ahead. There's never something that the devil can do that God does not have an answer. <clears throat> that is part of the, the, the ultimate message of, of this section. So this is, this is symbolic. I think the ultimate message is there are, there are forces. There's two sides. You know, it talks here about the war in heaven. Just kind of a side note. How do angels do war? You know, they, they can't die, right? What do they fight with? Are they, I don't know. It's kind of fun to think about, but they fight wars. And, you know, back, I, I guess I have to go on this plane trail a little bit. I actually do have this in my notes. <coughs> you know, speaking of angels and how they fight, you know, in, in the book of Daniel... He starts praying and fasting for, I think it says 21 days, three weeks. And finally, on the, I think it was the 24th day, so this was after his fasting period, finally this, this guy shows up in, in fine linen, and he was an angel. And he said, he said to Daniel, he said, yeah, well, you started praying, you know, 24 days ago, and I was coming. I was coming to, to help. I was coming... I was sent in answer to your prayer. But it says, the prince of Persia withstood me. And I, I, I was stuck. I couldn't go anywhere until Michael, the prince of your people, came with some reinforcements and they won the war and then I was free to come. Like, I don't know, that, that, just little snippets like that just fascinate me to no end. Because like, what, what, how do they do that? Like, how do they fight war? It's like, it seems to me angels have, they have jurisdiction. They have like areas of jurisdiction that they are allowed to operate in and they can't go outside of that. You know, we know Michael from various places in scripture. Michael is, is a prince, a high powerful angel that is assigned to the nation of Israel specifically. <clears throat> and I think there's probably these type of angels Assigned to many nations. You know, who, who's our angel? We don't, we don't know who the angel is of the United States. But I think there's probably one there. <clears throat> but anyway, all that to say, there's war going on probably pretty much all the time <clears throat> in heaven. And, you know, it also reminded me of another time when, was it Elijah? I didn't go back and look this up. It was either Elijah or Elisha. You can tell me which one it was, where he, pretty sure it was Elijah. They were, you know, they were in the city, and Elijah could see the army out around. He, like, he wasn't scared at all, and the servant was basically there quaking in his, in his boots. And then Elijah basically asked God to open his eyes so he could see, and he opened his eyes, and he saw this vast multitude of angels surrounding the city. <clears throat> and then he's like, oh, I get it. You know, now I know why you're not scared because it's just like, you know, they're here to take care of us. <clears throat> I've, I've wished to see something like that. Uh, maybe I need to ask more often. <clears throat> but there's those kinds of things. There is war going on in the spirit world. <clears throat> and I think I'm going to leave you with this. The main, one of the main encouragements of this chapter 12 is to say there's a war and no matter how bad it looks, 
God always has the upper hand. He always will have the upper hand. No matter what goes on, no matter what goes on in Washington, D.C., no matter what goes on over in the Middle East or Russia, Ukraine or Chicago or the southern border, all that stuff. Those are physical things. There is, there is spiritual wars going on at the same time that we cannot see. And God is never at a disadvantage in any war. Never. And so because of that, we should not fear. There's no reason to fear. But like, like Matt was saying, and, and uh, Izzy was saying this morning, you know, full trust in God is what he wants from us. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we just thank you so much once again for the just the crazy, beautiful stuff that's in this, this book of Revelation. <clears throat> thank you, Jesus, that you are that rock that has been thrown down already and is growing and expanding throughout the whole earth. And someday, hopefully very soon, you'll be done expanding and you will have taken over the whole earth and you will rule. Just thank you for that. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you have asked us and called us to follow you into this. <clears throat> Just help us to remember in, in all of all the times this next week where it'll seem like maybe the battle's out of hand, there's things out of our control, to always remember that you always have the upper hand. You're never at a disadvantage. You're always one step ahead of the enemy, and you can take care of us. I thank you for that. In your name I pray, amen.